Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. Now, I have in my hand what may appear to be a very humble item. This is a pine cone. You will all have seen many of these. I'm sure you will have passed them on very many forest floors. But the Greeks revered this, uh, this item, as did they of Sanskrit culture and several other of the most ancient uh, cultures in human civilization. And you might ask, well, why is that? Well, to explain why, I'm going to tell you a bit about this particular pine cone. I picked this up over a quarter of a century ago in what you might consider to be the apex of wildfire. I say that not lightly. I picked this up in the most fire-prone region of the most fire-prone county of the most, most fire-prone state in one of the world's most fire-prone, fire-prone nations. I picked this up in San Diego County in California. And I picked this up at the very same site that the two, the two most severe wildfires on record passed through and within a period of seven years. Those particular events were the Cedar Fire of 2003, which you will have seen all across your news screens, and the Witch Fire of 2007. I might add, there are more fires, as you will know, passing through California as I speak, as there were last year. So when I say worst, bear in mind that uh, things move fast in the wildfire world. And yet this item, this isn't just an ecological item, this is a time capsule, because locked away in here are seeds. And you might ask yourself, why is it that Melissa picked this up 25-odd years ago and its seeds are still contained. Well, the fact that I took it away from that site is pertinent, because had I left it at that site, when the cedar fire passed in 2003, it would have popped open. More specifically, it would have popped open on the passing. Why would it have popped open? Because the resins are specified. They are, uh, the biochemistry of the resins is such that they melt upon particular heat temperatures. And this is something that is found in various pine cones, uh, very, various pinus species about the world. Different temperatures. It's clever stuff. But if you think that's clever, that is just one of several features that this species, which I might ask one of the oldest macro species in the world. How old? Well, it's not as old as plants. It's not 420 million years ago. But if we go back a few hundred million years ago, this species was coexisting, or rather I should say not this species, but the taxonomic order from which this comes, the genus from which this species comes, was coexisting with wildfires that make that which you are watching on your TV screens look like a campfire. How so? Well, it's all about biochemistry. Because today, right now, we are breathing at about 21% oxygen. But if we went back to the Carboniferous, we'd be up there at 30%. Cast your mind back to your chemistry lessons, and you will remember, you will remember that more oxygen makes biochemical reactions makes combustion far more fierce. So these were wildfires that were intense, they were worldwide, and the skies as we know them, there were no blue skies. The skies were very, they were a different colour, they were full of particulates, they were yellow, they were orange. The sunsets would have been amazing. So this species, this genus, this order, evolved with fire. It's not the only species that did so, the oak which together with this is another of the most revered of species. Indeed, in our own English heritage, the humble oak, it too is fire-resistant, fire-persistent, coexists in fires beyond that which we can even imagine. 
So jump forward in time. Jump forward in time. In around the 1900s, well, the early 1900s, a decision was made. And to give you a bit of context, in the States, a fire burned through that was 300, sorry, 3 million acres. 3 million acres. The intensities were such as to be around about 20,000 Hiroshima bomb energy release, equivocal. But not only that, the energy was such that it didn't just burn the trees, it blew them out, as would an eruption. Sorry, not an, well, actually an eruption or, a, or an explosion. And upon this event, which had not been witnessed, it had not been witnessed by the policymakers, by the politicians, they thought, I know, we'll outlaw fire. We will outlaw fire in the wilderness. And so they introduced a law that by 10 o'clock every day, they try and put fires out. Of course, they didn't have the, uh, the database that I have, the some few hundred mi- million years of fossils and all the data that is embedded in there. And they didn't have the satellite communications and the supercomputers and everything that we have today such that we can work out all the technical details of the interplay of the biochemistry, the ecology, and in effect the convergence of the planetary, uh, planetary systems. They couldn't do that. So they thought they were doing a good thing. They thought they were conserving nature by preserving it. And they were killing it. Because it's not, as I said, just this species that needs fire to survive. It is evolved with fire. But myriad species about the world. Not just in California. And not just in all the western sides of uh, countries like South America, Australia, Europe, the Mediterranean. And indeed here in the United Kingdom, when you hear about wildfires, you will hear about it as if it's alien. The charcoal record, the fossil record of fire says very different. Very, very different. It tells us that wildfires are indigenous to the United Kingdom. And indeed in the 15 and 1600s, they were a frequent event. Our towns were burning frequently. It wasn't just the Great Fire of London. The Great Fire of London was in fact anticipated. Who by a dendrologist... A man who studied forests said, London will burn, it will burn, and we must change the policies, because wood is carbon-based. So here we are. Here we are. Well, why have I looked at the origin of fire, the millions of years of fire and the most resilient species as are still extant? Because we've got a bit of a problem on our hands. I don't have all the answers, but I have been looking for them. And I'm going to ask you today to think about these things that I'm talking about We have a land shortage, and if the climate trajectories, the forecasts for climate are correct, we will have less land. We will have areas being consumed by the ocean. We will have heavier precipitation. We will have landslides and so forth. We will have less land. Now, the fire ecology community, they don't want us to live in forests. And yet, in the United States, the Wildland Urban Interface, which is the interface of forests, wildland, And cities is the fastest growing land use region. And this is being replicated around the world. So we have to live somewhere. We have to live somewhere. But we have a choice. We can either live with fires. And if we do, of course, we don't just get biodiversity. What do we get with biodiversity? We get hydrological systems. We get rivers. We get streams. We get precipitation. What else do we get? We get geological stability, the root systems of these fauna, 
sorry, these flora, they sustain, they sustain the stability of the region such that landslides, debris flows. What happens when a wildfire passes through? Debris flows, floods. In fact, in California this past several years, they have, the debris flows have been killing more people than the fires. So if we lose the flora, if we lose the pines, we lose the oaks, we lose the shrubs and so forth, then we lose our water, our water access. We lose the very foundations upon which our buildings are built. And that begs a few questions. To give you an idea of how intense the fires that pass through the site, where I might add my late second cousin, my uncle Charlie, had a ranch. He was the only person for tens of kilometres around that defended his property. But he was a civil engineer, and he happened to have two lakes on his ranch, and he happened to know how to rig up the water systems and how to anticipate the timing of the fires. And he also had a number of friends in the native Indian community who have evolved their culture with fire. So they know all about anticipating the nature of these events, such as, for example, how the topography impacts upon the direction of the fire, how the wind and the wind direction, all of which curate how and why fire behaves as it does. So he saved his properties when everybody else is burned to their foundations. And they burn because pretty much everything you build your house with it's carbon-based. Or if it's not, it's mineral-based. And we have another problem there. We're running out of sand. We're running out of the stuff that makes glass. We're running out at such speed that there's a sand mafia. It's like drugs. There are places where communities are being subjected to gangs that come in, they strip, they strip the beaches of sand. So the stuff that is fireproof is running out. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do? So I've spent the last several years studying the biochemistry, the physics, and the various other properties of these the most fireproof of materials. And my proposal is this. We are going to have to accept fires, but we're going to have to look back. We're going to have to look beyond our culture. We're going to have to look to the cultures of the East. We're going to have to look to the cultures of our ancestors because they didn't demonize fire. They worshipped it. They realised that it enabled life. It was sacrificial. Indeed, within our own culture here in the United Kingdom, if we go back, if we go back, not years, not decades, but centuries, millennia, we worshipped fire. We recognised its properties. So we need to start to value it, in my opinion. We need to accept that we have accrued stuff. As Madonna said, we're living in a material world. We like lots of stuff. But what about if our relationship with stuff has to change? What about if we have to think about stuff that cycles with the fire systems, materially, conceptually? And what if we look to how biodiversity, to how the pine, over its many hundreds of millions of years of existence, has used that to its advantage? Because if we stay in a state of stasis, if we try to conserve, if we reject change... We try to take things back to previous states. Just dropping that in there as a take back control will be resonating. If we try to do that, we do not move on. We do not change our systems. So I can't tell you that I have all the answers. I can tell you how things work and why they work. But what I can do is put that seed of thought into your minds and hope that you will go away and think about that. And I don't expect you to have any immediate answers, unless you're a genius, <laughs> in which case you might suddenly rustle a few up. But I expect you perhaps even to be troubled by it. 
because this is so contrary to the values that we have built, to the beliefs that we have. And to think about that. Next time you walk through a forest and you look at the pine cones and the, the oak, the acorns and the various other seeds, to feel reverence, to know that you as a species are not necessarily the epitome, the, the top of the hierarchy of evolution, but there are other species that have capacity to coexist in climatic regimes, in fire regimes, that are way beyond, way beyond anything that you have yet experienced, not just you, but your uh, earliest hominin ancestors, Homo erectus, and even back further, and indeed the entire primate order have coexisted with. Thank you.